than yourself very blessed thank you good oh man today was a good day man weather is great i know it's lovely isn't it mm. great. oh so here we are still up down yay <laughs> i'm ready i'm ready to come out a little bit i'll be honest uh trust me i'm getting to this stage that i've even said you know what covid the evil you've done is really enough so let's get out now please yeah 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 Uh, it's something else we will get there we will get there how you doing sean in europe i'm blessed man how are you yeah we're here same same world just waiting for those borders to be opened (laughs) i don't even think i'll get over there if the borders do open serious uh, I might have to try somewhere else. Might have to try somewhere else. The, uh, the madness over there is a little bit too much at the moment. It's, it is, isn't it? Like I was, like, that's why I said in the group today. I was like, I don't know right now. Ghana's acting a bit some way. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. <clears throat> I've been, I've been broken. If that's what they wanted, that's what's happened now. I've been <laughs> They've have. held they've held you off long enough that now you yeah. don't even care. You don't want to go. I don't care. <laughs> I'll go somewhere no. else. <laughs> Gone is a bit. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think there's only there's only so much you could have done with the PR, isn't it? So that's well, exactly. Cracks will always show. Yeah. yeah. yeah here we are. Here we are. Mm. We'll see. I mean, there's always Christmas. Ah, oh, let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> <clears throat> So, welcome to the GPP podcast. I'll take over this time. It's your usual panel myself, Nigel Pakusi Boche, and Mr. Derek. It's Derek Osamaku. And our first madam, uh, Charlene Bello. Oh, I should have, I should put all my middle names. No, put, go, put all ten of them. Put all ten of them. <laughs> me, do you know what I mean? I've got too many. Let me leave it. Let me leave it. <laughs> now you know there's some Yoruba in there as well. So like it's it's long. Shh, they're not supposed to know that you're half. This is true. I'm a I'm a terrible spy. I can't. I can't no, be lie. proud and loud. We're gonna have to edit, edit that bit out. <laughs> be proud and loud, my dear. Wait. I'm I'm a proud cold girl, so it's fine. I'm, yeah, that's sure. all that matters. I mean, you guys are the, the the one with money, so why shouldn't you be proud? Yeah. So don't don't watch don't watch the other side. It's fine. I mean, it's cool. I mean, they have money as well. Let's not let's not never get twisted. No, oh, they've 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 got money, but you know. <laughs> Let's not, you know what? Let's not get that. <laughs> so, one day we'll do an episode on Nigeria. on Nigeria. We will one day, one day. See, I didn't, I didn't say Nigeria. It's you people yeah. and your bad minds. <laughs> I, I, I happen to love all Africans, <laughs> sub-Saharan. We love all, we love all of our people. Indeed, indeed, indeed. 
So let's start as we, as our my, as my distinguished panelist said, Nigel Parfusi Butcher, the one and only, as you know, the businessman, the entrepreneur, and all the rest. So here we are, guys. And of course, how can I forget about the great and powerful Charlene Bella? <laughs> here we are talking about all things Ghana when it comes to socioeconomic politics, economic affairs and culture, we are the people and we are the podcast for you. Try to help you to navigate the, how can I put it nicely? I mean, is chaos a good word? You know what, the chaos that sometimes the Ghanaian multi-system might seem to be to the untrained eye. So we are going to do some great paper review and uh, one of the first news, of course, we, it's important for us to discuss about and to talk about, uh, come from the Daily Guide and it's about the COVID-19 update. So from the latest article, it says that Accra has recorded over 3,400 cases and uh, we all know that this is out of the country's total of 4,012 cases, which to me sound very astonishing. These are official uh, stats and these are official data coming from the Ghana Health Service and these are dated on May the 8th. So we have all seen that despite all the, how can I put it nicely, despite some of the border closures, despite some of the measures that have been taken, I mean, COVID doesn't seem to stop and uh, it keeps on going up. So, yes, Charlene, Nigel, so do you think perhaps that it was the right decision to leave the lockdown? Or do you perhaps think that we should do more, we should go back into a lockdown? Perhaps this time should be better, better implemented. So for example, with something more localized, because it seems that Greater Accra seems to be one of the major hit cities. So do you think perhaps that is something that we should look into and to have something to return to a lockdown that's more localised, strict? So what are your thoughts on this? Oh, um, uh, do you know what? It, it's, a, it's a difficult one. I, I don't want to be one of those people who ends up going, oh, you know, the government's failed. And you say that every week um, <laughs> just because just you don't like the numbers, you know, but Definitely. it's... I can't help but wonder what the control on numbers would have been if the lockdown had um, been kept in place. Um, I, I think that's that's the biggest part for me is now we have a what if. Like we're always, I mean, we're always going to have a what if, but like this is a big what if. What if the the numbers would have been smaller had we just kept doing what we were doing? That we had agreed. Let's be honest. The government had decided was working but it seems that they kind of just i was disappointed with the lockdown being pulled up um i can see why it was because obviously socioeconomic pressures and all the rest of it but um yeah but i would i think i think it was necessary for the for the for the lockdown to have been kept in place maybe we'd be hovering at half the number that we are at present um, do I think going forward there should be a localised lockdown? I think they're going to have to, but I don't think they will. <laughs> I, I think that's the the safest thing to say there is they have to do so, but they won't. 
um, because they don't want to, because the people don't want it. Um, and whereas initially there was almost like a fear of the unknown um, yeah. of this virus, um, now that there isn't that, there isn't that fear, you, you can't lock people up in their houses this time around because people have decided that virus or no virus, they are going to brave, you know, the outside world. So um, I would, I would, I would like to see just in order to protect the rest of the country that um, have really, really low numbers, especially as an Eastern regioner myself, and we're right next door to greater Accra. Um, I would like to see them reinstate the, the, the regional borders um, and kind of control the flow of traffic out of greater Accra. Um, but I just like I just feel like everything you might want to see, we've we've gone past the I don't know the door of no return on this situation. Okay, I mean, uh, you know what I do, I do definitely understand what you what you mean when it talks about the fact that it's true. I think that at this point it seems that people might have been, yeah, people have. People are tired. So now they say mm. they're really much in that phase of saying, like my dad would say, oh, die, die, which is a very bad thing yeah. to think about. <laughs> but they're really getting to yeah. the stage that, look, no matter what, we still need to survive. They're, we rely on, fortunately, unfortunately, we rely on an informal economy. So we need to go out. Mm -hmm. We need to go the the market sellers. We need to be and all the rest. However, to mm -hmm. me, as somebody that forever will be looking into the importance of human lives over any type of economy i'm also thinking perhaps should we start implementing martial law even though it's something that would definitely go against and will definitely infringe on any type of democratic process that ghana is and that ghana has mm. but then mm. when sometimes like for it's like with a parent right sometimes the parent need to impose a curfew so that then a child will not do things that's not supposed to do or will not go to places it's not supposed to go so should yeah. we perhaps look into it i mean i don't know mine is just a suggestion for how good or good or bad it might be but then i know that we have our socioeconomic expert mm -hmm. here and i mean somebody that knows much more and that can provide us with uh, with his opinion as well nigel do tell us I'm not quite an expert, but I do have an opinion. Um, I think, like Charlene, the the decision the decision came as a shock. Um, it was bound to happen at some point. However, I didn't think it would be that particular weekend. It was a bit of a strange one. Um, mm. I thought it would probably be extended um, for another two to three weeks at the very least considering they had um, spoken a little bit about taking over the bills and whatnot of electricity and water up until June. So yeah. it was kind of indicating that that's where, that's when they might, may close it down. However, <clears throat> um, read about and heard a few things about the issues concerning um, a lot of the citizens that aren't in the best of shape financially. There was a lot of stuff going on on ground, apparently, where citizens were coming out anyway and actually challenging um, the security services 
and government didn't want to get to a situation where the security excuse me where the security <laughs> services would have um it's the lockdown let's blame the lockdown yeah let's blame the lockdown <laughs> the yeah. security services would have been a little bit too aggressive in their approach um it's it and there's other things going on i think the question it's a difficult one in itself um when we first started discussing covid and mm. Ghana decided to go and lock down we said okay well done but if you were going to do it you should have done it earlier that's what yeah. we kind of said because yeah. at the end of the day it's already in the country right so your next strategy is okay how do I stop the spread or how do we find a solution to this you know so they decided to put the country on lockdown. Okay, fine, fair enough, etc. The reasoning for putting the country on lockdown, if it was to trace, track, and test, then they did what they said they were going to do. The cases that are coming up now, to my understanding, and please, if anybody <clears throat> has seen any contrary information, um, please let me know. But the cases that are coming up now is due to the backlog of tests that were done during that period where they traced, tracked and tested those um, that they were looking for. These are not what you'd call new cases from Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. result of um, the lockdown being, um, what's the word, from the lockdown being reduced. So if we look at it from that perspective, mm, we can continue as we are, essentially. Yeah, in a way, but it's, it's, it's we did. I think it was seventy to eighty thousand tests in that period of time, and we're still getting the results back. So every single day, the cases are going to go up, hundred mm-hmm. percent, because we're still getting those test results. We aren't testing random people. It's not happening. So if Greater Accra right now could actually be, let's say, it could be 7,000. We'd never know. Mm -hmm. Likewise for the UK, (laughs) we could be over half a million (laughs) or a million or such. We don't know because nobody's getting tested. So it's how we interpret the data, right? We will forever get an increase in the numbers Mm -hmm. because there's a backlog. And every single day, those results are coming back and even if you look at the results in itself right okay there are 4,012 confirmed cases um as of yesterday the 8th of may yeah 18 deaths and 323 recovered i probably wouldn't be looking so much at the cases in itself i'm more interested in the number of recoveries because we have a very low um, amount of recoveries in comparison to the number of cases. Deaths yeah. are very low as well, in regards to 18, yeah. but the recovery is extremely low. The recoveries are really worrying that. because um, yeah. I don't think, like from, from what I've heard, when you have been asked to quarantine yourself because you've tested positive, the, the instruction mm. is for a certain amount of time. It's not, please quarantine yourself until we come back to you and declare you um recovered right so mm. my my concern is that in theory i might be also i might be very wrong because no one really understands the methods that they're using but 
if you've only got 323 out of four who have recovered, but you lift a lockdown and a lot of people were tested within the first, like five weeks ago um, or longer, then there's a lot of people who could possibly be kind of free to roam who haven't yet been added to the numbers of recovery. Do you get what I'm saying? So in theory, then yeah. they could be super spreaders in and, in and of themselves because we don't actually know yeah. what we're not, what we are doing with the people who have not yet been declared recovered. And I mean, the world over, we already don't know whether recovery means not contagious. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's a mess. <laughs> essentially yeah, you can't you can't at, at, at this at this stage um i i probably i wouldn't probably be an advocate for the lockdown because it, it's not really going to make any difference um simply mm. because we've been out of lockdown for is it a week now two, week. Was it a week or two weeks i'm not even too sure so you think it's two weeks already it's it two weeks um been out we've been out for two weeks right so yeah. wherever it was going to spread it would have spread by now anyway and if you lock down to what yeah to what purpose you still don't have a vaccine <laughs> if that's what you're waiting for mm-hmm. you still don't have a vaccine anyway yeah so you're going to lock everybody down for another month or two months or however long you like the uh the virus will still be there people will die from it people will also get the virus and recover your economy tanks and whatnot and this isn't essentially choosing the economy over lives it's essentially if you look at the world over there is no plan nobody has a way of doing this that has been the most effective there are countries New Zealand has done very well compared to they've done very well but they're in the middle of nowhere (laughs) they are they're an island for, you know, it's true. Um, and just I mean, another thing is the fact that even the big nations, right, the financially capable nations <laughs> who could probably lock themselves down completely for months mm. on end for a while and be good, they still don't know what they're doing. No. And they can actually take the hit. Yeah. Right. And it's 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 a fine balancing act at this moment in time that nobody's going to get right there will be a loss of life and there will be a hit on the economy straight that's happening and it is happening now and it's going to we're going to see the ripple effects of it for probably the next decade and that's just the acceptance that we will have to come to um i think we made a mistake in the beginning by not locking down immediately once we knew it was out there immediately you should have locked down we waited for cases to be confirmed, then did so. But at the same time, when we did um, when we did lockdown, I think the education was pretty poor in regards to what this was, how it does spread, what we should be doing. Um, we weren't again proactive in that respect at all, and we didn't really know what was happening. Okay, we're going to trace track test. What happens after that? what happens after that and if you make certain promises you know for two weeks three weeks in a row and then because of pressure you decide that you know what (laughs) let's just drop it you look a little bit silly 
which mm. is why there's a lot of people now clamoring to say what they have to say about the government at the moment because mm. you've said you've you've said all this time it's you've got it under control um and this is what we will do to protect the nation and just two weeks later you're on your own guys that's, that's essentially <laughs> what happened and it's uh, and i'm saying it's none of us are in his position or the government's position and when you're when you're in a position it's difficult to make decisions it's so easy when you're outside but they could have communicated things a yeah. lot better um and yeah. they're looking pretty silly at the moment and even with these figures at the, we've just discussed the figures right and come to the conclusion that it's actually possible yeah. that these figures are based off a backlog of the 80 or thousand that we did they are not new cases we've just had that mm. conversation but i haven't heard that in mm. the Ghanaian media at all or from government mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in so it's it's and that's that's what's causing the panic i mean i'm sure we all had people we spoke with the day that it was lifted that were shocked people that didn't want to go into lockdown in the first place mm-hmm. right yeah and they've been itching to get out, but the minute that it's been um, lifted, they're thinking, "What the hell is going on?" Ronaldo mm-hmm. wants us to die. <laughs> yeah. That's that's basically what they're saying. <laughs> she doesn't care, yeah. and and that's the thing. Like yeah. people, people will never be happy. That's just that's just that's just it. Yeah. But there's ways that you can communicate these things better. Um, you're never gonna make everyone agree with you, and it's just it's just the way it's just the way life is. That's life. Yeah. But you can communicate what you're trying to do a lot better. Mm. So in, in answer to your question about martial law, no, I completely disagree. I would never give any government the opportunity to even invoke martial law because they will do it again for no yep. reason. And, and <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not having it. It's not happening. No, 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 no. no. I, there is, with the coronavirus, there, there is no, there's no solution at this moment in time. We did speak about... Um, you know, possibly partnering up with yeah. other African nations. Mm-hmm. So we all heard about what Senegal are doing in regards to their testing. Everybody in Senegal is being tested. Mm. Everybody, mm. right? They've managed to produce a testing kit that um, it's, I think it's $1 per person. Mm-hmm. Which is actually fair. It's $1 per person, right? Um, if we the only thing we can do at this moment in time is test everybody, yeah. essentially. Yeah. But even with that, once you're a confirmed case, it's not really much anyone can do after that. Mm. All we know is that this person has coronavirus or had it, but we still don't know. And that's a global thing. So to criticise the government's approach, it's, it's, it's difficult because nobody knows what to do in this, in this, in this situation. Mm. And you're either going to fight this battle or the other they're probably just going to choose the one that that they basically mm. said essentially is <laughs> we can bring the economy back to life essentially but we can't save lives we can't bring you back to life so at least let's do what we mm. know let's, let's save, exactly let's save the economy they didn't lie they didn't lie there so they were secretly hinting at what they were trying to say what they were trying to say they said they can look after yourself because we can look after the economy we're not looking after you uh, exactly that we can't speak. i mean it, it, it would be we nice it would be great like uh, you know with madagascar coming up with their little herbal remedy um which obviously none of us know the potency or you know validity of that but still um with that with senegal like you said and their one dollar testers 
it would be so beautiful if now, you know, Africa uses the money that they're gonna get from the institutions, uh, the global institutions, to pump back into Africa and buy from their neighboring countries. Like we, we've got to get used to keeping the black dollar within the black community. Um, I mean, are we allowed? Oh, cool. <laughs> I never, you know, what? I didn't even ask that. I didn't even know. I don't even know. But if 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 listen, if they if they have the if they have the flexibility, I would pray that they would use it. You know, um, I hope that they did. But that, mm. Charlene, Charlene, uh, both of you are shaking. I mean, it's listen, I was just trying to put out good vibes. <laughs> Somebody else came to shake no, the table. It's, 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 <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a legit question, I mean, though. When you it's from the IMF, when you take okay. these loan facilities, mm. there are conditions mm. to this. Yeah. You know? and who knows that to be honest that one billion was probably spent before it even came um and that's not to say that's not to say it wasn't spent on the right things i mean did he not did our president not um announce the construction of 88 new hospitals yep. yeah he did indeed. okay i mean it sounds like he's been listening to our podcast right <laughs> he spoke about it but on that point um We'd 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 hope that the uh, the hospitals are of good quality, mm-hmm. excellent quality. In fact, there's no point putting up a building for the sake of it at all. Yeah. And again, it goes into what are the long term plans for the healthcare sector? Mm-hmm. Not just you know we're gonna we're gonna have hospitals and whatnot. No, what? How are we going to train our doctors and nurses differently? How are we going to attract better doctors? How are we going to like? There's just so much involved in healthcare. How mm. you know it's it's you need a wider approach. How do we stop people from getting that many people from getting to the point where they have to go to the hospital in the first place? Mm. Better education, you know, um, nutrition and whatnot. So it's a start, as per usual. It's a start, yeah. but what's what's the end goal? Yeah. Well, it's election year, so this we'll get there. <laughs> well, we'll get to election. But <laughs> well, I mean, there's something that you talked about, of course. Then I mean, we talked about borders, the borders closure, and all. And this is something that has really that has come out as well through the for different media outlets. And uh, just to confirm as well, uh, City Business News, for example, confirmed that. Uh, the Peasant Farmers Association of Ghana has actually warned and been speaking about, uh, they've been speaking about this food security threat, which has been posed by, which has been posed by COVID-19. So really looking into the disruption that this is bringing because of the borders closure. And, um, and then even when it comes to a potential increase in prices. So, I am looking at this and I'm thinking for how much I'm always here complaining and saying, oh my God, what does until further notice means when it comes to border, border closure? Because I really want to get to Ghana. However, mm-hmm. it's not about me at the moment. It's really about how you can help the population. So when it comes to that, when it comes to what the farmers can do and food, secu- uh, food security, what do you think should be a solution to, to be considered? And especially when it comes to agribusinesses, because and before I give you the chance to actually speak on it, um, I'm sure that you might have heard it. So there's also this news about them um, that talks about 
the production of rice, right? Mm -hmm. So we have had uh, we have had one of the oh you've had you're familiar with the news, right, Charlene? Yeah. The agriculture sector, and we've had to build our own storage facilities because there aren't any, which is fine. We'll build our own, but mm. why is it that we don't have enough storage facilities? Well, we can now look at the banks for that because you have. Um, the Agriculture Development Bank, whose job it is to boost the sector, to finance projects for machinery, for storage facility, for transportation, for marketing, everything, that whole value chain. But the small-scale farmers don't have access to these loans at interest rates that make sense. There's no point in me taking a loan from you if it's going to cost me 30% interest. I'm just, yeah. There's just no point yeah. whatsoever. So that stifles the industry. So it's education and it's the financing as well. And government aren't doing enough in those areas to force um, the stakeholders to do the right thing, essentially. So when it comes to the rice, like I said, I think we, we, we can produce and we are producing, but there are things that are causing issues. And these, these, these issues have been here for a very long time. There's a reason why Ghana is number two now in the world for mm. cocoa we were number one for a very mm. long time but Cote d'Ivoire have held that position for, I think for five six years now and not only have they held their position they've increased it since I think since the last time we were close to their figures they yeah. doubled their, yeah. their output that's in cocoa that's in cashew they've taken their agriculture sector seriously we continue to play pay lip service as we do so um you know, for me, I think um, government just have to be real and start making making decisions that will affect maybe some of their friends and um, allow the industry to move. We do need investors. We need people to get into the agriculture sector because we all need to eat. And I really do push the, the diaspora to get involved in that as well because what you're finding <clears throat> is a lot of foreign foreign companies and a lot of foreigners buying up agricultural mm -hmm. land as well. So once you don't own your land to be able to grow your food, you are a hostage. So people should really look into that. So overall, when it comes to the rice and even the, the Peasants Association, um, they, they're looking for fertilizer and whatnot from the government. I think, again, this, this whole government involvement in everything... Yeah. It's a problem. Is what stifles our economy the most. It's a big, mm. big problem. Everybody looks to government and it's annoying. Um, it's And they, they've made it this way, deliberately, right? They made it this way. We're not really a capitalist country. It is for yeah. a few people. That has to but this, I, was, I was talking to my sister about um, this the other day. We were talking about coconuts and cocoa and cashew and stuff. Um, and, you know, she was saying, like, you know, half the reason why they're able to keep the price of cocoa like so low is because there's only one actual buyer in in Ghana, right? Cocoa Bod, and so so long as you can influence that one entity, you've got the market, right? And so even when Cocoa Bod wanted to raise the price, and they you know sat down with their Ivorian friends and and said, okay, fine, we're going to create this cartel and try and push the price up, immediately you know, the international buyers like pushed back and there was some level of concession from, from Cocoa Bod. Um, and it, I think that's the problem. Like you said, government involvement 
if the government isn't going to be strong enough to really carry forward what is best for the farmers, what is best for the economy, then government's involvement actually becomes the obstacle and not the stepping stone, you know? Definitely. definitely. So do you guys also think perhaps, based on what what Nigel said, do you think perhaps the diaspora should actually invest more and create cooperatives and by the same token as well also involve local young Ghanaians? Yeah, I I think think we need, as, as a diaspora, like maybe one diaspora one local is the next policy um <laughs> we we need to we need to partner with them you laugh but I'm going to that, <laughs> no but no really honestly really and truly there's a lot of us who first of all have startup capital um you know we have access to finance and all the rest of it um and we have the desire to go into agriculture you have those on the ground in ghana who straight out of uni probably not straight out of uni some of them 10 years working even but they know that agriculture is the way forward they just don't know how to get into it either um if you find um either a pair or a collective of like-minded people both inside and outside the country there's a lot you could do um with with agriculture i do believe in that um i think that is it has been one of the problems about um us not being able to move the industry forward enough is that there's just not the right meeting of minds and everyone seems to be struggling individually. Um, you get a random guy from, you know, North London, go and fly to Ghana and try and buy 10 acres, get scammed three times, finally get his acres and, um, you know, <laughs> try, and then try to learn how to how to do something. Meanwhile, there's a guy from Legon who's been brought up on a farm and maybe he thought it was just trying to make money as a banker in Accra um, knowing full well that secretly his uncle at home is richer than him, you know, and and that's the yeah we definitely mm-hmm. need people um, to come together across um, and use what they have, which is knowledge and also access to finance. Hundred percent, I agree. I mean, and, and just off the um, one of the points I made in regards to Ivory Coast and their cashew and cocoa sector, mm. and one of the points that. Charlene made another another reason why their output has increased is because a lot of it also gets smuggled across the border from Ghana mm. because of the fact that we have so, so much government intervention. So the farmer will say to itself, "Why would I bother selling to Cocoa Board mm. for X amount when the world market price is X mm-hmm. or Y? Mm-hmm. If I literally just go past that cocoa tree and past that mango tree, I'm in Cote d'Ivoire." Mm-hmm. And they're going to pay me probably two or three times more for it. Why would I bother? You know. Yeah. Um, it's, so, yeah, it's there's so many there's so many issues, but there are actually solutions to this. Um, like you said, it is a meeting of minds, a meeting of funds, as well, because that's one of the biggest issues is the financing. There's nowhere to go for the financing, so it's almost as if you're held hostage by you're held hostage by the banks and held held hostage by government as well um through all the other things that we discussed so yeah that's that's my take on my small take on it anyway probably that's what i would say extremely silent and um, anyway it comes from somebody that does understand and uh, understand business so definitely we don't have expected anything else 
So thanks a lot for that. And uh, moving forward, something that I believe as Ghanaians is very important for us to remember. It's uh, today is the 9th of April, and uh, today we are remembering one of the indeed darkest day of uh, ending Ghana football. So yes, we remember what happened when uh, two of Ghana's most famous team, and this was the 9th of May 2001, so two of Ghana's most famous team, which are the Accra Heart of Oak against the Kumasi Asante Kotoko, they did face each other in uh, this match, and we all know that these are literally the equivalent of, uh, a, I mean, uh, what would I say? I would say Arsenal, Tottenham, uh, I would say OL Classico, exactly like, oh, wow, he's really <laughs> going down. I don't know if you heard. Shall I, think, I think but quite. I shall not have, he just said, so I said that, uh, uh, Accra, the Hearts of Oak and the Comercia, Santi Cotacoa are like the El Clasico, their matches are like El Clasico, but without the quality. Oh. I shall not take the slag down because we are as good as any other team. Thank you. Mm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the sound where you don't even need to explain. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yes, just for as a reference to all of our listeners, exactly. So these are some of the biggest teams and most famous teams in well, was, um, Ghana. Kotoko was voted the club of the century. Oh, there you exactly. go. Exactly. They were major. I mean, sorry, I am not going to be, I've said I wasn't going to slander Ghana, but how? how no, trust me. Listen, I, I have a Congolese friend. I have a Congolese friend. When he met me, he was like, oh my gosh, uh, I used to follow a team from Ghana. Um, uh, Koto- and he remembered the name and everything. He's like, as a child, I just wanted to play for Kotoko. And I was like, what? Kotoko used to be amazing. Serious? How so then? then? What <laughs> Politics happened. Oh. <laughs> I mean, again, Ghana, nothing new. Kill your face. No, it's true. They, they were one of the biggest clubs in the world. I mean, I hope everyone has listen to this because literally everyone has heard this i am going to be using this as one of my ways to gloat that ghana are the can the club of the century and voted by fifa nonetheless i mean come on i'm actually still dumbfounded i'm actually flammoxed by the whole thing ghana well you learn every day i love learning so, but yeah, thanks for that, Nigel. That was very, very. I know say I've been gone for a long while now. Where he the call, but I know the pig. And so I've been the sun boy, and I am And all I want to be your happiness. You know, I gotta make this though, gotta start this though, baby. I cry me there, no be easy. Oh, let me cry me, baby. talking about Kotoko, the fact that they've been voted their country the best, well, the best club of the century which, by yeah. FIFA. And uh, yeah, I was just saying that moving and I'm always proud yeah. of Bengalian, by the way. Yes. <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer. I'm very proud. Um, but then this add to it. And uh, I think Nigel was asking you a question. Mm, I think I was asking you if you've been to a match before. Uh, do you know what? Um... 
No, not not in Kumasi. I haven't been to a see Kotoko is now my second Ghana team. It's not even my first anymore. Um, I've not first? been to a match in my first is a call United. It must be never heard. <laughs> when I when I discovered when I discovered that my people had a football team, I said, I said, <laughs> why 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 is it everyone I know has been supporting Kotoko? <laughs> so um, my first is a call United. We we do all right. We we're there, isn't it? We're like Crystal Palace. Are you sure you're Crystal Palace? Not I didn't say which 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 year of Crystal Palace we were. Oh, okay. <laughs> like... they from... Okay, I'll leave it there. Yeah, well, yeah. I was about to ask, where are they in the league, guys? Because of course I don't follow you know. like you do. Uh, well, where they're, are they? They're they're there. They're they're, 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 they're they play. they play. You know what? We take it like that. That's <laughs> we take it like that. <laughs> we take. It but like I've, that. yeah, and I've not been to a match. I've been to I've been to a Crow Hearts of Oak match, um, which is it's hilarious. Like the atmosphere is insane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't yet reached Kumasi. And they, they themselves also have a very um, glorious history as well in continental Africa. Mm. So. That yeah, is one of the reasons why they are, and and that they, that theme tune as well, that um, our rose, our rose, our rose, be oh quiet God, and don't be silly. <laughs> I think I've had my dad say yes. The lyrics don't even make sense to me, but like everyone sings it with such vim. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, fair. <laughs> wow, wow. You know, so yeah, the two two biggest clubs in Ghana. Um, there are also tribal elements of both clubs as well, and political yeah. elements. That's that's kind of what I guess is the politics that kind of destroyed it and a lot of greed mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in the football industry in Ghana. But I guess there's probably probably come onto that at some point. Yeah. But yeah, you were talking about the main night. I know, disaster. and I think that you actually said it. Um, <coughs> you literally said, "Well, we're going to talk about the fact that yes, on this unfortunate day." Uh, during the match because of a decision that did not seem to play some of the fans um, yes some of the opponent decide, some of the opponent uh, fans decided to invade the pitch and uh, from there mayhem ensued and uh, we had a total of 126 spectators that lost their lives so this has been one of the most catastrophic happenings in, uh, not, I don't even think just Ghanaian sports, but even in just in general, because I mean, for this to be happening, that means mm. that so much, I mean, what could have prevented this really and truly? What could have been the infrastructure, the logistics, security? So of course we remember this day, but then sh- I think that this should also be something that we use to improve our sports, improve our football, to improve our stadium management from, or even in terms of management in general when it comes to football matches. So I would, uh, yes, I would like to have uh, yeah, your opinion on, uh, on all of this. Nigel, you want to go first? Okay. So, um, it was yeah it was it was a a disaster that will never be forgotten in Ghanaian history, but it's also a disaster that was never learned from um, mm-hmm. We as a nation don't take 
that many things seriously. And on that day, it went to show in many ways and led to the deaths of um, over 100 people. <clears throat> I think, so what happened, like you said, um, a decision was made in the game that the fans weren't happy about and there was a lot of agitation. The police decided to fire tear gas into the crowd, which mm. led to a stampede. And there weren't that many exits in the stadium at the time either. So what happened after that is what we now know as May 9th disaster. Uh, spoke about the stadium, policing, maintenance and whatnot. First things first, in, in any sport you, you have... Sport is a passionate... It's, it's, it's about passion, right? It's emotional. Mm. So... People will always behave in a way that is not normal at times, okay? As a stakeholder in the sports business, you have to understand that and put things into place to mitigate against this, all right? Ghana doesn't take sports serious as a business anyway. It's just something that we turn mm. up to and then we leave. So things like security protocols... Um, isn't really in place effectively your police officers whilst the game is going on instead of watching for crowd disturbances is actually watching the game and you know celebrating and doing whatever they're doing they're not focusing on what the job is at hand and okay there's a human element to that so that that would be the case to, to a point um but then at the same time because they're not there'll be an overreaction to things that are common within sport mm -hmm. If there's a bad decision, one team's going to be happy and one team's not. Some fans will be happy and the others won't be. And there'll be a reaction to that. How do you diffuse it? There are many ways to do so. And I'm not a security expert, so I'm not going to say so. What they, what they could have done. But firing tear gas as your first response mm -hmm. isn't exactly the best thing to do. In addition to that, mm. um, we also didn't have enough exit points. So meaning the stadium design was flawed in the beginning so who signed that off <laughs> good question um have we learned from it no because just this year january again it was a cotical match um a, a fan was shot outside the stadium by the police gone oh. gone police in general aren't well trained in 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 my yeah. opinion it's yeah. a job that people do for the sake of doing it it gives them an income but they are not trained to deal with anything really on a high level um everything reverts back to a cultural way of handling things uh so a, a guy was shot at another football game we've had issues where referees have literally been beaten up on the pitch Goodness. and chased down Mm -hmm. there's hooliganism in every country especially when it comes to football it mm -hmm. does happen but a lot of them do education to kind of curb it a little bit because there there is actually a positive of that type of fanatic um support from these type of elements of mm -hmm. of your fan base it does help with the atmosphere and whatnot 
but there also has to be an education from a fan point perspective of what should be allowed and what isn't. But most importantly, when that fails, because it will, your security, your security personnel need to know how to handle and defuse a situation without anybody getting killed. And this is something that happens a lot. There is violence at some of these games and it's uncalled for. It's ridiculous. We haven't learned. um, And I don't think we're going to learn anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Our stadiums are pretty old. We've merely renovated them to a certain standard. um, And I think that started for the 2008 African Nations Cup held in Ghana. But we don't have any active education going on from one, um, a security personnel perspective and from a fan's perspective either. And the clubs as well, because the clubs have a duty to educate their fans too. But none of this goes on because Ghanaian football at best is semi-professional, at best, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. And that's across the board from Mm. the quality on the pitch, the lack of, and their administration and what they do. It's it's mm. and the GFA are no better in, in that respect either. Mm. So you know I could go on forever and ever like sports mm. is my thing. Um but yeah we haven't we haven't learned from it. Um and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah um I think you hit the nail on the head a lot uh, with, with a lot of the points that you made there. Um, obviously, Ghana's football is semi-professional with the exception of Accor United, who are um, <laughs> only the best. <laughs> up there with Barcelona. You don't know they're in the league, but... Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're up there with Barcelona, I'll have you find. Messi's been asking to sign to us is the situation, actually. Um, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, listen. Nineteen years. I, one thing I, I I have to say, um, off on 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 the off is, I hope next year we're able to really, um, remember this date quite well, um, quite respectfully. Um, yeah. we're not. It's funny because our culture isn't. We like to remember deaths and do forty days and one year and seven years and however long, but. I don't see many memorials and, and I think they do have one for, for the for this particular incident, but it's not revered and it's it's not respected. And I I I would hope that the country as a whole um took some time to really stop and reflect and try to see whether they have lessons and have that conversation as a as a country, especially in the footballing body. Um mm. yeah, I listen every time I go to Accra State. I have a heart attack just before I get back to my seat because something really? I see something that just yeah because I, I see something in the stadium that, that just makes that. me think I don't want to be here <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's always something and I'm like no it's not my day I'm, this is not my final destination um yeah. and one of the one of the main <laughs> one of the main things that recurs actually is the policing um, there is no level of adequate stewardship um, at matches. Uh, I, I've been to the stadium for um, concerts as well, um, and there have been times where I've I've just walked into the stadium, just no nobody's checked me. Like there's been there's been nothing. I like 
there's nothing to say that I was supposed to be there. Nothing to say that I'm not carrying anything. I'm not supposed wait, wait, to. Wait, hang on a minute. Just to explain to the uneducated like me who've never been to a stadium in Accra, in a stadium mm. in Accra. There are no mm. metal detector, no nothing at all. I, no I walked through no. the compound gates, through to the side that looked like it was VIP because I wanted to feel special. So that's the route I took. And I got straight to the pitch. And um, oh. yeah, and I was like, oh, oh, it's like that. Okay. <laughs> like, no, there's <laughs> there's not any, um, especially if you, if you do buy VIP tickets or anything like that, then they don't know. I don't think that they do even have, um, th there are some gates, lest I, I should correct myself a little bit. There are some gates that have, um, uh, the, the kind of turnstiles and things like that. Um, but I genuinely have got into the stadium without ever passing one before. Um, and no one wondering who I am or why I'm there or why I'm walking through the entrance that I'm walking through. Um, I've been to a Shatawale concert at the stadium um, yeah. where outside military men and police officers started shooting guns in the air and were trying to whip people. Um, and that just caused even more mayhem. And I just got, I just took myself and, you know, my sister and my cousin out of that situation. And we were just like, listen, it's not the day to die. Like we can, we can go somewhere yeah. else, you know? Um, so I, I do worry that footballing aside, um, the lessons in terms of just standard policing of crowds in Ghana hasn't been learned. Um, and, mm. and that's, that's the biggest, that's the biggest kind of tragedy of this whole thing is that it was the actions <clears throat> of the police that created the incident to begin with. So even if you can't fix the design of the stadium, even if you can't fix the hooliganism or the passion, the very least you can fix the police response to things. Um, and that hasn't been dealt with. 10, 20 years later. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, yeah, that's that's the way I see it. Uh, and um, yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens really um, moving forward if they mm. if they really do want to give it some time to to really kind of change. And I mean, talking about football, just to, the the biggest frustration, and I think this was another article that was on the list as well. But you know, Ghana's football has dropped so much. Over the past 60 years, to the extent that Puma's downgrading the value of its contract with the GFA. Um, and I just I just think it's quite disgusting that, yeah, that we're like we, we shouldn't be in this situation. Our sponsors have never really invested in in the domestic sport to begin with. Like that's just a fact. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that, we're not and then you know, so therefore there wasn't like the local talent was going down. Then we've gone to go and like source all the diaspora kids. We've pissed them all off um, and then told them to stick it and stay in your own country and told them to, we're never going to sign them up again. Um, and then we're taking a hit on the value of our contracts and still renewing those contracts at a lesser value because we haven't hit targets. Like it's, it's, and, and then, and, and then the domestic sport, dare I say it, People don't want to turn up to. The stadiums are empty unless it's the Santa Cotico versus Hearts of Oak. Like, honestly, Ghana football is... The whole thing is a tragedy. The whole thing. 
Okay, so you know what? Thanks a lot for that, Charlene. And uh, I was going to say two things. The first one is that, if I'm not wrong, I remember that uh, at least I'm really relying on my best Ghanaian informer, which is my dad and his radio, mm. which is always loud for some strange reason. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you might have this as well. I think every Ghanaian kid in the diaspora has this, in a way or the other. Mm. And uh, uh, however, I remember that in 2016 they did establish a, they did establish a memorial a memorial cap to remember all of the people that unfortunately lost their lives. Uh, so I think that I don't know if this is still happening because I <laughs> strongly yes. believe. Yes, yeah, it is. By, um, by the, the president of Kotoko at the time. So this is going. To, this is a nearly a nearly happening, right? Yeah, it's a, year, it's a yearly thing. But... Fantastic. And also, I know that Nigel's been, uh, I mean, of course, he's the mighty, the mighty and powerful. <laughs> but then beside business, sport is another thing that he really knows in and out, inside out. Mm. So when it comes to this, Nigel, what could you tell us in terms of crowd management, in terms of the policing, the infrastructure as well? Could you add oh, as well, perhaps argue to what Charlene was saying um, I've always said that sports and in particular football is a, is an example of your society essentially right mm. our, our, our football has deteriorated like Charlene said immensely like in a way that it actually like you said it, it makes you sick yeah <laughs> And you wonder what you wonder what would have happened if, if Asamojan actually scored that, <laughs> that, that goal. <laughs> you know, what would have happened? What can? Charlie. By now, I would have no, no, not no. been here. No, there's 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 there's, there's, a, there's a correlation to yeah. some because often enough these things are like soft power. And more. Yeah. But um, I mean, and I'll I'll go through some of the points. But in regards, to, like like I said, the security and whatnot. Again, it. It depends on the type of event that's going on. Mm. Often enough, there ever isn't enough security or it's just completely heavy-handed mm. to the point where, like you mm. said, there's army. An army should never be on the streets mm -hmm. of Accra, mm -hmm. ever. Army men are not trained to deal with civilians. Um, so it goes to show, again, our police force is weak and haven't been trained effectively in crowd management. Mm. And that, ha that hasn't changed. Um, and that's not going to change anytime soon until somebody decides that they're really going to overhaul the mm -hmm. police. But that's not going to happen. Um, I mean, we take our peaceful nature and our culture for granted that nothing will ever happen when we've seen things happen, you know. Yeah. And we kind of just say, Do you know what, for Miami, like it's you know, it's Goodness. as for this one, it's, it's it's give it up to God. Yeah. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, uh, we. I mean, I myself and a few other people have hosted events there and in other places, particularly in sports. Sports is something I have a keen interest in in Africa. And it's the same everywhere else. The difference, the difference is, like Shaheen alluded to, is the one element you can control, which is your security services, countries have learned from. You know, and there are drills constantly carried mm -hmm. out and they are constantly learning who the troublemakers are, how to deal with them, all of this, and they're working with the clubs to do so. Ghanaian football, Ghanaian sports, I mean, what's left of it, 
is entirely down to money. Everything mm. is money, which is why Ghanaian football and the Black Stars in particular as well have fallen to lows that, I mean, you've got them, you've got them creating hashtags to ask people to support them again. Because it's, right? it's, it's actually crazy. <laughs> it's about again it goes to show you the ineptness of that well we've got a new we've got a new football association so let's see but they did create the hashtag so it is what it is but um <laughs> we so if you take it back to we we have a long history in football we are one of the the strongest um african teams um and we should have won a lot more trophies than we have done. And that's just not in football. Mm-hmm. That's that's in so many different sports. But our infrastructure mm-hmm. is terrible, just like mm-hmm. everything else, essentially. We don't take it seriously. Um, we used to have inter-school games that would play and we would see young players being developed from that. Um, yeah. And they would be put through to the under-15s, the under-18s and whatnot. And th- there was there was a route and a path to the Black Stars based off merit. That isn't the case. Once the FA started to see that there's money in this, and once the team started to see there was money in this, that's what it became. Mm. You could essentially pay for a player to be called up to the Black Stars, like a whole Black Stars. Mm. You could pay to play. Mm. You know, And this isn't speculation. I mean, it's, it's it's well known that this has been going on. You wonder why certain players get called up or why they're still playing and they're 50 plus, you know. Yeah. It's because people are paying. Um, yeah. People got greedy. And yeah. <clears throat> we, 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 didn't, we didn't take it seriously and we haven't created an industry that benefits all. It, it benefits a few and it still does, whether it's, MPP or NDC because football is political. Everything is political in Ghana. Yeah, I was about yeah. to ask you what in Ghana is not Everything is political. Um, and what was happening is that the money that was being given to the FA through their sponsors wasn't going towards what it should be going towards, which was grassroots football. Mm. Um, the clubs were only interested in finding players and selling them for 20 grand, 30 grand to Egyptian clubs, right? Mm. Um Mm. that's literally what what it is that's why we have no players we have nothing you know and if you go back to 2006 when we went to the world cup and then we did it again in 2010 and there Mm. was just so much love for ghana Mm -hmm. we got to two or three african nation cup finals and we should have won them all and we didn't because Mm -hmm. they've got some some sickness in their head that they haven't managed to (laughs) to deal with just yet yeah Keep, keep keep Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It's mad. We should have won. We we didn't capitalize on our brand because we still had people that didn't understand the sports industry running it. We had politicians. We had people that were lawyers. We had people that had no experience or formal education in the sports business whatsoever. And that's not to say you need formal experience in it whatsoever. It would help, but. They had none, and they didn't have any business sense apart from let's sell players, yeah. right? Um, and that's what it was being used for. It was a personal, it was a personal bank for a lot of people, 
And the reasoning for Puma downgrading, um, I'm surprised they didn't do it earlier because that Ghana brand is worth nothing at this point in time. Absolutely nothing. The only reason why we are part of the portfolio is because Puma themselves have a portfolio of African nations. That's their, you know, that's just what they do. Mm. They take African nations. But there's a reason why they don't have... they don't have Nigeria and Nike do mm-hmm. because Nigeria's brand is a lot stronger. Mm. Even when Nigeria weren't as good as they are now, and they're not exactly great, but one thing Nigeria have is fandom. Yeah. Yeah. They have numbers. They have, and they have patriotic fans. That's why they could sell out what they sold out. But you they know, the thing is, though, the round the round. do you know the yeah. thing is, like, okay, so Nigeria. You know, by the end of the 2010 World Cup, they were about to completely disband the federation, right? They did. They well, did. yeah, they, yeah. Well, exactly, right. And then finally, when they decided they were going yeah. to do football, they came back and won a tournament, right? Which obviously Ghana hasn't done in like 20 years. Yeah. The thing about Nigeria is yeah. that Nigeria Nigerians will buy the Nigerian jersey because they're patriotic. That is very true. But Ghana's. Ghana's kind of lucky. Ghana's kind of blessed because if Ghana had had a similar outdooring um, of a decent enough kit, people love Ghana. Like it wouldn't just be Ghanaians who would need need to buy the the shirt, right? Like Africa would buy Ghana's shirt. Yeah. Like we've we've got something like people kind of like to hate Nigeria, so Nigeria has to like themselves. Ghana gets to be yeah. liked by everybody else, and it seems that we're not even. We're not even benefiting from that. We're not even trying to come back. But, but, no. but that's, that's where we... Do you wanna, do no, I was just going to say, but I'm just talking from a PR point of view, of course, that's more me. When it comes to when it comes to brand, like you said, when it comes to reputation, you know that the Ghana brand has really been high up there when it comes to football and, I guess, music at some point and culture. Mm. However, like you rightly said, instead of supporting each other we've been more on the on the fringe of oh other people seems to support us other people seems to like us but then similarly we should be more like our nigerian cousins and say mm-hmm. you know what let's be the first one to support one another mm-hmm. let me go mm-hmm. and sure. purchase that jersey. let me go and support i don't know this team and that i i agree with both points because it's a mixture we have we have the luxury of looking at both you know when it comes mm. to Ghana um, like you said Nigeria kind of have to do that because there's just this stigma around them even though we like them but there's a stigma yeah um, Ghana has the Ghana has the love of everybody right but what I'm saying is we didn't leverage on any of it and Ghanaians mm. Ghanaians are a funny bunch right we will support you if you try right mm-hmm. if you try we will support you if you make yourself too known, <laughs> we're we're done with you. Yeah. Understand? And what killed? What actually? What actually killed Ghana's brand from the support perspective? Because it was the support from Ghanaians initially that boosted the brand even more. Because we were putting it out there. Yeah. We were so excited about it and everything, right? So, what killed it is in two thousand and fourteen, Brazil. Mm when the person that would like to become president again come December and his cabinet decided to fly $3 million cash 
mm. to Brazil to go and pay Ghanaian footballers their bonuses. That completely killed the spirit of Ghanaians. Mm. Because one, we failed completely in that tournament. Mm. And there was a lot of hoo-ha over why and the fights that were going on. And then the next thing you see is there's a, a plane that's gone over with cash and you're seeing players kiss the, kiss the money. Mm. Ghanaians are patriotic people. We do love our country. We might not like each other as much as you know everybody thinks we do, but we do love our country, right? Mm. And when we see that the people that we are supporting do not even care about the thing we're supporting them to do, we don't care. (laughs) And there's not really much you can do about that for a long period of time. Do you know how long it took for Asimogen to be forgiven? He hasn't even been forgiven. He hasn't been forgiven. He hasn't hasn't been forgiven for that penalty. (laughs) He wasn't forgiven. I think there was was another penalty he missed against Zambia. Yeah. And he, he started dancing before he even hit the... We don't forgive these type of things, right? No. Nope. So we will support, and we were supporting. We carried that brand across the globe, mm-hmm. which is what allowed the FA to play games in London and sell out. Remember, we were the first team to sell out the new Wembley. Yeah. Imagine. Little Ghana. Mm-hmm. When Nigeria played, they didn't sell out, mm. if I'm correct. I could be no, wrong. I think we might Let be right. But I think I am. I think I am right. But so we do carry it. What happened is the FA and the powers that be did not see the value in the brand. They saw the values in selling players for their personal mm-hmm. game, and that's what they embarked on, and allowed the whole game and the whole system to just completely collapse. Which is why. Panorama were able to do what they mm. did and put cash in front of our former GFA president to, you know, basically watch a, a sponsorship deal or carry mm. a sponsorship deal in his name. Mm. That was the epitome of what was going on. And if you're in the system and you realize that this whole thing that I'm supporting is fake, it's like finding out that wrestling wasn't real, mm-hmm. right? You, we, we, how can I how can I love this the same when the people that are going out there aren't playing for the badge? Mm-hmm. Like, how? I'm not spending my money on them anymore. <laughs> for what? It's just money, 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 yeah. money. That's not what sport is about. And that's not what football is about, especially African football, because there's not a lot of money in it. Mm. It's purely based on passion and love. Once that is gone, no one cares. Mm. How do you bring that back? Well, it's not a hashtag that you could use. Right? And Puma have every, Puma had every right to do so. Puma has every right to do so because it's also part of the the remit of the governing body to promote yeah. the team so that people aren't buying more. You have to think of ways to do this and they're not they don't do anything. I'm I'm not- with that brand that we had, we had the strongest <laughs> in that position. We had the strongest brand in Africa and one of the strongest brands in the world. So, we had we had we had mm. your Germanys, your France, oh, yeah, your Argentinians, your Argentinians, everybody wanting to play Ghana, right? Anywhere in the world. They were even they were even happy to come to Ghana and play, which has never happened before. But I'll tell you what, the people that managed mm. at the top wouldn't want them to come. Why? Because they would have to pay to have them there. And they'll only be collecting cities. So 
make we go London mm. or Miami. Mm. So just to ask, because this is what, that's another news that was on uh, on our news uh, review, and uh, I think is in line with what Nigel said about the GFA. But so does this former Ghanaian footballer uh, Sebastian Barnes, and he literally did advise his son not to play for Ghana because even though he made himself available at the time to serve the Ghanaian football team. They apparently they discarded him. He said they really regret it. So he said his son should actually play for Germany rather than Ghana. So in my mind, there was literally I always like to be analytical, and I like most of my friends always said I'm more of a, I'm a little bit of a devil's advocate. I like to look at different perspectives. So in my mind, I was thinking, did he say because he was bitter that it didn't really shine through at the time whilst he played? Or did he say as a concerned father? Or did he say because he's really lost all type of hopes in the Ghanaian, in the Ghanaian Football Association? And now he says that, you know what, we really need to move forward and uh, rather stick to a nation in the diaspora and be that diaspora and keep the place for them that make them to go and win championship and trophies mm-hmm. rather than to play for the Hannah of your own country. So what are your thoughts? I mean, especially because you and Nigel have discussed this. So I'd like to know more of your I, I don't yeah, more I don't of hold your it. opinion on that. I like don't hold it against him at all. Um listen, Danny Welbeck that really when when Welbeck was up for being called by Ghana, <laughs> we all thought it was a sh- like it was gonna happen, right? We were almost almost very certain. Like, why would you not that at the time it was the trend to sign up to Ghana? Um so when when Welbeck did it and decided to go play for England and everyone booed him on the pitch in the friendly and everything like that, you know, like, bruv, it's happened, isn't it? So we keep it moving. Um, I honestly don't blame him at all. Um, I think the way that they treated um, a few of the other diaspora people who who chose Ghana kind of shows mm-hmm. that, you know, Ghana will, will drop you when they want. Same, you know what, the fact is Germany will drop you when they want, England will drop you when they want. So there's no loyalty anywhere. It is football. Um, uh, but um, the, the dad is right for saying uh, to his son not to do it because he's he's had he's gone ahead and he's had an experience of the organisation and he's decided that it's not an organisation he wants his son to bet his career on. Um, if that's the case, that's the case. Once again, the organisation should put their best foot forward when they are meeting with Ghanaians, when they're meeting with their sponsors, when they're meeting with whomever. So um, if they're if they don't know how to respect somebody and they want to come and claim the person's son later on, I think that is the height of, of rudeness. Um and, and dare I say it as well, you know, me and me and Nigel went to um the homecoming summit in 2017. And for almost everybody who was in that room who's of our generation, and actually a lot of the people who were older, everyone was like, you don't have a plan for us. You don't have a plan for we who are having options. We can either live in Berlin or come back to Accra. You don't have a plan for us. Um, it's not the case. Like, they don't have a plan in football. They don't have a plan outside of football for people who have um, the desire to be um, part of Ghana's future. So if Sebastian Barnes wants to tell his son to stick with Germany more vim to them really I know that sounds not like unpatriotic but I think that's the realest you know I can be with it mm-hmm. I agree I mean 
football reflects society, right? We that question is something that can't is not only posed to athletes or footballers, it's also posed to us, as you said, mm. like in the diaspora, essentially. You you're caught between a rock and a hard place, essentially. Mm-hmm. You want to help. You want to be patriotic. You want to fight for your nation. But the nation itself, one, doesn't probably see you as one of their own entirely and will Mm -hmm. treat you differently. And two, refuse to put the systems in place to allow everybody Mm -hmm. to grow. I'm not essentially trying to make us look special or anything like that, but no putting systems in place where everyone that is trying to be in that system can develop. Um, There was a point in time I advocated for, you know, the GFA to be pursuing players in the diaspora simply because the youth system was non-existent and still is. So we had no alternative but to go for um, diaspora players. However, we didn't have a setup for it from a player liaison perspective, um, from administration, from everything. We just we just didn't have anything in place at all. And if you think of the players that we've missed out on and where they are today, they've bettered their lives <laughs> and their careers yep. by not playing things. And it's it's sad. It's no different to the fact that people will say, okay, leave Ghana or leave whichever African country you are to go and seek pastures new in the UK or in America or Germany or something. It's the same Mm. thing. And then those countries will benefit off your sweat and labor and you'll wear the shirt for Mm -hmm. them. Look at France, right? (laughs) The whole French team is African. Germany have African. Belgium have Africans, England have Africans, right? Across many sports, because we refuse to get our act together. Refuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nigeria have kind of started to get it right to an extent. They haven't seen much success from it, but they're getting it right. People are now going to... Now, people want to play for Nigeria. Yeah. For whatever reasons, they want to do mm-hmm. that. I wouldn't advocate for anyone to play for Ghana right now, because what are you playing for? Mm-hmm. You're just, it's not even like there's a system that you're walking into that's going to appreciate you. Mate, the minute you pass that ball wrong, everyone's insulting you, your mum, and your dog. <laughs> like, and putting curses yeah. on you. It's then on top of that, you probably aren't going to get your bonuses. You probably aren't going to, you know, get the equipment mm-hmm. you need on time. It's just a sham. It's, it's ridiculous. And we shouldn't even be in a position as Ghana where we are looking for players outside of the Mm -hmm. country. Exactly. With the abundance of talent that we have in the country, we should, it should be a privilege and an honour for somebody outside to even get thought of to play for Ghana, essentially. That's not to say that, again, we're any better or anything. No, it's just, we have so much talent. Our talent pool is wide, long and wide, but we're just not developing it. So it's all, we want to, we want to reap where we haven't sown, mm. right? And that has to end. And I'm happy. I'm happy that people are turning us down because now we can open our eyes and realize that no, you need to plant some seeds, and then water it, and then you will harvest off your off your work. 
you can't be claiming people just because sure. they were born in the they they're born in the UK and their parents were Ghanaian or their parents mm-hmm. were Nigerian or their parents were South African. What did you do mm-hmm. to help them mm-hmm. um, develop? Exactly. Nothing. But you want to come and claim of it. A wise man that I know said, uh, actually made this very great analogy, said uh, it's like a child that has been adopted and then all of a sudden their biological parents uh, might have, for let's say more for selfish reason, let's leave it, uh, might have decided to give, it, to give him or her mm-hmm. up for adoption. As soon as they seem full of success, they want to come back and claim him or claim her. Are we talking about my very good mate, and Mario? Did- and they didn't do Our fellow Ghanaian. And they didn't do anything to help him out. So I just said a wise man. <laughs> you don't want the wise man to think that you, you think he's wise. <laughs> exactly. You never know. You never do it's, it. You, know? it's, it's, you need to keep some of your heart close to your heart. But it's but it's, it's a given. With, with Mario Balotelli is a an example. Yeah, but that's like I said exactly. He's this wise person example. talking about but about mario as an example but uh yes it's true it's mm. literally just that i mean did you make did you actually do the hard work for yeah, you to now play exactly. so as an athlete what are you looking for you're looking for the best opportunity to be at the top of your game win trophies and obviously um the financial money yeah <laughs> the financial benefits of being at the top of your game so you would move to any situation mm-hmm that will allow you to do mm-hmm. that. Ghana is not no. the one, especially within yeah, the sports game, true. right? And it's sad because we have a lot of our players playing for other countries and they wouldn't even think twice about Ghana, but why would you? And it's sad that our sports authorities mm-hmm. don't think about this. And like I said, I'd much prefer us to um, build our youth system up again, so we can have players that are patriotic about playing for Ghana for Ghana's sake um, and not just using it, well, not using it for anything at the moment because there's nothing to do with it. Mm. But there, there aren't people in the system just using it for money. Um, I mean, the, the player that the, the gentleman was speaking of when it comes to his son, yeah, probably is a bit of bitterness in there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't there be? Probably would be. I mean, same way, I think, when we got knocked out of the tournament once, Kevin Prince Boltang <laughs> said a few things <laughs> yep. about the country. And it would. I mean, why not? You know? Um, we have to open our eyes. Mm-hmm. Get real. Get real. We are not who we think we are. And we're not where we once were. We live on a lot of past glories as this country, as a nation. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Charlene. Thank you, Nigel. And thank you to all of our listeners for another great episode of the GPP, the Ghana Products Podcast. And on to the next episode, where we'll continue to discuss all things Ghana, all things diaspora, and how to continue to make the country better and greater. Like us and Jeff said, for the devil. Take care. Bye. Baby, so to
je perdrai toute ma raison Je serai comme un corps sans mot Qu'importe les hommes Chérie, t'auras toute mon affection Je t'aime sans me retenir 